Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. Thanks so much for lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got. That is your time. If you are listening to this and have not yet listened to the part one, that was episode number 475, I would encourage you to pause, go listen to that one first. Did you do that? (laughs) This is, of course, part two of my in-person interview with electric vehicle and solar energy pioneer and entrepreneur James Warden of Selectria Corporation. Back in part one, which you just went and listened to, we look back at Solectria's humble roots in solar car racing. But here in this part two, we're going to look at how James and his team pivoted during what ultimately did not become the EV revolution and found new life for their core business while ultimately also becoming industry pioneers in an all new and soon to be booming industry, solar power conversion. James and his wife, Anita, created a made in America brand that many in the United States solar market have relied on, including yours truly. We get into the unexpectedly quick rise of this new company, James' philosophy on rapid prototyping and time to market, how he and Anita decided to sell the company again, and what he's focused on now. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to the show, as that's going to ensure that you won't miss out on our twice-weekly content just like this. And you can always check out more than 475 additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com. For now, let's get ready for the rest of the story, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to a powerful conversation with solar industry pioneer James Warden here on Suncast. So you and the team were able to build a company that was becoming well-known as Innovators, around a technology that at this time was entirely nascent. Uh, it was powering vehicles with not just renewable power, but with electronics, not not combustion. And other really do-it-yourselfers were saying, I want some, send me one, right? They couldn't find you in a catalog. I, I can't imagine where folks were actually finding out other than, like you said, the news sources and how orders were coming in. But you all had this idea and this concept to sort of mature the the incubated idea in the magic incubator of these brushless motors and controllers into an actual productized business. What, from your perspective, and maybe even from yours and and Anita's perspective, what was the mission of that early vision for Selectria meant to be? Selling the parts for the solar race cars and electric vehicles was really more of a natural outflow and that made sense almost also a means to an end. The real vision of the company was to build solar powered electric cars for people to drive to work in every day. That was the goal. And what we started with was in literally 1990, I'm, you know, just finished my senior year. I actually got into MIT master's grad school and started that and took a sabbatical actually because we went off to do the company but i was doing that anita was a senior finishing her thesis when we founded 
the company in 89. Yeah. So we were building at the time in the school, the Lightspeed, which was the skull wing door, yeah. two seat, solar charged commuter car. And now uh, we actually raced it in Switzerland, it raced in the Tortoisol, the US Tortoisol, which yeah. had started in 88. And then we raced it in a 90 Tortoisol. And then we raced it in Switzerland in 90, you know, this racing still there, the racing kept going for many years, actually. Yeah. But the the goal was to produce that car and to produce a boxy little square commuter car that was two plus two that we, we actually bought a frame and body from France mm. for this micro compact car. And then we put our drive system in it here and we showed these cars the first time at like Northeast Sustainable Energy Association's mm. conference in Boston. <laughs> we brought them out to Willis, California. We started racing this pair of cars all around. There was a Canadian wow. Solar Cup we raced it in. Did you, um, was there money in racing? There wasn't money to be made, but the whole package, there were trophies, there was, there was bragging mm. rights, there was press you'd get out of it. I mean, the press were all over this. It was so hot when you and maybe five, six, seven, 10, 20 other teams around the whole country, including Canada, yeah. were were the only people doing this. So it was just a magnet for press. I mean, we we almost had to like say no because it was, it was so much press. And was it for in your mind publicity for this business that you were building? That's yeah, and exactly. Like there's a Ned Potter story, like ABC something or other, and he he talks about um I'll have to send you some of those links. Talks about, you know, like the Henry Ford of electric cars and all this stuff. Oh, like wow. like I'm racing this car. The last thing we did sort of halfway between MIT and company was the Selectric 5, we ran it across the country from L.A. to D.C. to beat the record. There was a record held by Crowder College right. that uh, raced something. They took, uh, I don't know, 16 days and we took 11 days or something, like whatever. <laughs> but that got so much publicity. And all along the way, we were telling the story that we're going to make cars for people. This is an event to open people's eyes yeah. that – if we can make it from LA to DC all on solar power, then I think I use the funny term by golly, then a normal person can use can use us a, a solar charged electric car to get to work every day. Yeah. I mean, to, what to drive forty miles? Come on, that's easy. We just right. drove three thousand two hundred miles. And we ended John Kerry came out as a senator, young senator then, very young, you know, six foot four. He got himself <laughs> into the car without closing a can because he's too tall. <laughs> we have those photos. But um it you know, we we just had this rallying cry for yeah. practical solar electric cars and that light speed and the sunrise, this little boxy uh, white plastic car. We were showing these cars and the turning point again in our goal, which was to make cars, not make parts only, although our core ended up really being the parts forever, yeah. really leading into the next That's company right. too. But the you never know what the means the end it's might a, be the there's a might thread the I'm pulling on here yeah. James <laughs> so so the, the we met our our first and really only investor for many years yeah guy named John J Harris the fourth he he passed away several years ago but he grabbed us after a, a great victory it ended at MIT um, I think it was 1990 we had that light speed the sunrise and selective five racing we had a whole bunch of cars. 
he sat us down. I remember we went to a Bertucci's. He wanted to meet with us and talk to us about investing in the company. Bertucci's is a restaurant you here. Know. Yeah, Bertucci's is a yeah like a, a Italian restaurant yeah. institution down in this one down in MIT. Yeah. So we met the guy, and <clears throat> I was worried about this. Like I'm worried enough. I called my brother Andrew. I said oh, Andrew, yeah. can you come to this meeting? This guy wants to invest in us. <laughs> he said he wants to give us money to to promote to help us with our cause. So he said, yeah, I'll come up. And first thing Andrew was he he sat down. He said, so why do you want to give these guys money? Like what, like what's up with this? What's the angle yeah. here? You know? And he, you know, he was like being the, the big brother, being the, the experienced guy with this. Cause he worked in, uh, you know, New York stock stuff for years before mm. he, he, uh, he ventured out in his own company and uh, running a, a very successful fund at the time. But John J. Harris said, I want to invest $150,000, which it, it seemed like big money to us then. It that's was a lot of money. money to us yeah. Then you're really for us. Um, that's like a, that's like a, a 2 million series A now yeah. or the seed and seed round now. Yeah, you know? And we were like, you know, in 1989, 1990, we were, you know, there were like four or five of us in this company. It was we're no salaries yet. Yeah. It was tiny. And he said, there's one caveat that I have. If I'm going to give you this money, you have to look me in the eye and say that you're going to have a car product that you're going to sell in a year. You're going to be selling. What? And we're like, we looked at each other and whatever and said, of course. You know, it's like, <laughs> we had no yes, clue. Yes, I will. How we right. And the first thing we did is went home was- First lesson, right? Went home and we said to ourselves, how can we ever take the light speed of the sunrise and make these fully finished enough and practical enough, safe enough, have all the details and all the amenities- yeah. In a year, and it's like, but we told this guy we're going to do this, and we believed this. Like, with what a great way, grand. <laughs> yeah, with a hundred. But what a great way for for you know a VC or an investor or an angel, yeah. whatever you call them, to to give someone a kick in the butt. Totally. To like, you say you want to do this, then do it. And here's yeah, the money. Go do. It. Okay, it was only this much money, but at the time it was like mega bucks for us. Totally. I mean, we literally didn't have any money, so we uh, sat down and actually, again, to get back to team, like I was did not come up with this idea i was totally against it mm. a guy who was a volunteer named ken skia hughes he now works at tesla he worked for us for long after even when we left selectria yeah. when we found the select renewables but he he was a volunteer he he worked at meta environmental like an environmental cleanup firm and he would bike from the commuter rail here and bike to our place at 6 30 at night and work from six to nine then bike home to his, his poor wife and eat dinner, go to bed, and repeat, rinse and repeat every day, five days a week. He used to come three, four, five days a week. And uh, so he he was a real important guy. And he he wasn't at the meeting with the investor, but he he we sat down, we told him what happened. We had like a company meeting with four and a half of us. Awful, yeah. And uh, we're in, at the same time, we were starting to work on our next model of the, of the light speed that was a flash, which was even more efficient car was going to have uh, three wheels instead of four, go back to three wheels, it was going to be even more high tech. We were going from fiberglass to Kevlar. Everything was getting lighter and more efficient. We were really getting to know our stuff right in the middle of this, you know, this investor comes. And so Ken said, we have to do a conversion, James. There's no other way we can do it. We, if we do a conversion, it has all ah, the stuff done for right. us. And I'm like, Ken, we, you know, we, we, this was like, yeah, this is like a coronary for me. It's like, <laughs> We've just, you know, I spent all my life looking at these, I used to call them horrible, I call them old clothes conversion guys. You know, yeah. when you take like a, a, a VW Golf 
and you take everything out of it. Yeah, VWs these, are the most popular. Yeah. yeah, and they put these heavy steel racks in yeah. them and put these six-volt golf cart batteries. batteries and run at 84 volts, 72 volts. They did yeah. big, thick wires and a yeah. series one motor with a five-speed, four-speed transmission in there. It's like, we're not going to do that. And Ken said, well, we don't have to do it that way. Why don't we do it better? Why don't we apply all our technology to... And so I started to think about this. Well, if we're going to do this, we need to pick absolute best car. So we're like, what are the what cars could we look at? Like, who's going to be interested in this? And we started realizing at the time that we're going to be selling to fleets, utilities, government agencies, yeah. and a few people. Not that many people because they were going to be a bit expensive. Yeah. If we were going to do it right, you know, we wanted to do. We were going to use new cars. Mm-hmm. We wanted to have an efficient car, a lightweight car, an aerodynamic car. Wow, mm-hmm. that's a tall order. So the three cars that entered the race, this was a race within the company. Yeah. We looked at the Honda CRX, the Ford Festiva, and the Chevy Metro through our aspect at the time. And those three cars all have unique, they're all small and reasonably efficient, reasonably lightweight. They all yeah. fit that category. They're all subcompact kind of cars between subcompact and compact, but in that area. Yeah. Car, you don't see any of those anymore now, yeah. but other than a smart and a mini that mm. no one buys many of those, but unfortunately, but I love small cars, yeah. But uh, I guess I'm just European in that way. Uh-huh. But the Ford had the best American feel, it's Ford, you know, Ford, but it's this really boxy. The Festival was boxy, yeah. It also turned out to be the lightest car, so it was light but very unaerodynamic, but very American, and we like the American feel, uh, you know, for all the reasons. Uh, the CRX was not American. It was the most aerodynamic and the heaviest. Yeah. So like completely opposite. But the Metro, it's all about compromise. Mm. The Metro was right in the middle. It was close to the Festiva and mm-hmm. weight, but it had aerodynamics. Well, not like a CRX, but yeah. better than a lot closer to the CRX than the Festiva. Yeah. So, and it was made in Canada by a joint venture between GM and Suzuki, kind of a little bit more American than Honda. Yeah. So we're like, hmm, this kind of... And anyway, we tested you, them. We got three cars. I was going to say, I remember you also had this original patron of the local Chevy dealer. Yeah. Did that have anything to do with it as well? I don't know if that first car came from him, but uh-huh. Ken had had a Metro hatchback. We got a CRX, Ken Hughes, that volunteer. Yeah. We got a CRX from a, a used CRX from a dealership. Wait, so Ken had a Metro. Ken had a Metro. Ha! So we weren't saying it was going to be the Metro, yeah. but we got a Festiva from one dealership with the dealer plate, a CRX from another dealership, and his Metro. And we, you won't believe this. We coast tested them down the Route 2 hill. This is like true MIT spirit. Yeah. We got them all going exactly 60. We crested the Route 2 hill, which is a steep, long highway yeah. hill going into Boston between Belmont and Arlington going right into Cambridge. Yeah. And we, we put them all in neutral, shut the engines off coasted all the way down the hill and we metered exactly where where they were like what speed they were doing where they were in relation to each other and then where they ended we did this at three in the morning on the highway and because when no one was there and it was so clear the crx was way ahead the metro wasn't bad the festival was terrible i mean it was like halfway down the hill when the crx was all the way at the bottom just by aerodynamics it's so cool to learn and now you know we tried balancing all the weights to the same level so Mm -hmm. we get that out of the equation and yeah. we use them all with their actual weights. We did a study taking the cars apart. These are cars we borrowed from dealerships. Right. Take the engine out, take the trans, take everything out, oh learn how it's put together. Get back to that, like yeah. learning by doing. Ken is a true volunteer. This guy's a trooper. He yeah, his own his car <laughs> got stripped apart, put back together. And Ed Trembley, that guy I mentioned before, like super car mechanic, 
maniac the, guy. He did all the retro. He did. He he or restore uh, restorations. No, that's Eric Voller. Oh, that's Voller. Um, okay. He did many other things with the company yeah. later too, like gearbox and things. But Ed Tremblay, he was a master mechanic, very fastidious, very careful guy, very detail oriented. He like he's the type of guy that you would never put something go ever get near an engine that's dirty like everything has mm, going in an inside an engine yeah. has to be completely clean not a speck of dust in sure. a gearbox or because you know you studied ones that worked for 20 years and you look in the oil that's all like has like metal filings in it and yeah. so um a lot of influences into all of our designs magnetic plugs in the in the in the transmission and so any little filings get sucked up and go over there they're not ah. continually washing through the gears and wearing them down he was into like Let's make this thing last a million miles, like way back then, because yeah. he's seen things wear out. But anyway, he literally took took these cars apart, and we learned that the Honda is a total nightmare. Just to take it apart, yeah, is a nightmare. And the Metro, it was so like empty and simple. Like when we took the engine out, the transmission out, it, it's you know Suzuki is like a lighter, cheaper, faster version of Honda and Toyota. Yeah, they're not as good quality. They're a little bit lighter weight. They don't have the power. They don't have the excitement of mm. some of these cars, but. I think maybe coming a lot of motorcycle influence, whatever, um, they, they have sort of a minimalistic attitude. And uh, I quickly started gravitating towards that central car of yeah, three. And at first I was all over the CRX. Like I really liked the shape, that yeah. little, that huge mm-hmm. shape of the yeah. CRX. And I knew the aerodynamics was going to pay big so we could go on the highway. But the Metro wasn't too far off. Anyway, it, it won our, almost all of our tests and the weight the weight was a big one the Cirrus was significantly heavier you know honda just builds a heavier yeah. heavier car and it wasn't just the that. engine every part of it was heavier wow. so chunky kind of chunky still very lightweight in today's terms yeah. but anyway that was the decision this is the funny thing we finished that car design in nine months and we had three orders before the year no way one from john j harris the fourth himself sure. but we had he let his he wanted the first car so when we started talking what, what about price it, did you have it at um, it was twenty six grand. No way. Yeah. No. Granted, this is lead acid. Nineteen ninety two. Nineteen ninety one. Twenty six grand. Twenty six grand. This is the four door. Yeah, lead, so yeah, lead is, acid, of course. But that was how many miles? It would that get. was uh, fifty miles. Fifty miles. But a fully automatic car, uh-huh. regenerative braking, heat, air conditioning. Well, air conditioning was an option. Heat was standard. Yeah. Sealed lead acid batteries are completely enclosed with thermal management. No. So it would. Keep the battery warm or cool as it needed. Mm. Um, simple things, but we took all the things that the conversion community had done successfully for years to make like a 35 mile stick shift car that didn't have heat, yeah. didn't, you couldn't drive it in the cold. The batteries were opiate <laughs> caps and you'd fill them with, you know, with distilled yeah. water. It's like none of that. Like, we don't want to see the batteries. We don't want to yeah. see one terminal. There can be no live terminal. This has to be safe. And even the even like twelve volts, there's no twelve volt battery. We we yeah. get, we still that car sitting out there. There isn't one car in my mm. barn that has a twelve volt battery. This didn't have a twelve volt battery. No one did it that way. They always put twelve volt batteries. Even today, never understood that. So you've referred a couple of times to the car sitting out there. I'll refer folks who really again want to go and listen to a very interesting. I'll call it like a a modern look back at an actual interview that you were interviewed in one of the earliest Science Fridays. In 1992, uh, where they accurately described the Selectria Force, three-door hatchback, and it was billed in February of 92 as the car of the future. And they, and they were looking at electric vehicles and things like hydrogen fuel cells and gas a haul. If you want to see a picture of what the Force looks like, out, you'll also see a link in the show notes for today's episode to 
James' LinkedIn profile, where he has it proudly displayed as well as the header image of his LinkedIn profile, which I'd encourage you to go check out as well and, and connect with James, of course. You said in that interview, uh, or perhaps in something else that I, I read or heard later, I think it was in that interview in 2016 where they updated the Science Friday you said that you didn't have the genius of Elon to come up with a luxury electric vehicle to help pay for the family car, right? Um, and that's obviously in retrospect, in hindsight, most of us would have, thinking about the industry, looked at the, the movie Who Killed the Electric Car and the Chevy EV1 as really the, the progenitors of electric vehicles, which couldn't be further from the truth. How do you summarize for those who ask about the history of Selectria as a company, as an electric vehicle pioneer, how do you summarize kind of the evolution of the industry? And I realize that might be complicated and difficult, but I presume you've got more practice than I have at listening to it. I'd love to hear you talk about that. The electric vehicle, well, the take of the electric vehicle industry in mm -hmm. the late 80s into the 90s, uh, that rendition of the electric vehicle industry, you know, now we feel electric vehicles are here to stay. There's no right. way that's too bad. You know, it's the world over yep. is a given. But 1990, we were trying to really create the industry, and it was it was very strange. You had you had a few people building conversions the old way with yeah. serious wound motors mm -hmm. and light wet lead acid batteries and you know stick shift gearboxes that were never going to be for the general public, but they're more tinkerers and do some fun things. Then you had a couple of companies across. There ended up being about four of them in the end uh, around the country. I often think that we are the most advanced in, in, in many ways with the technology we brought mm -hmm. in, building lightweight, efficient, easy to use automatic cars. That have withstood the test of time. That have, yeah, that's, that's actually true in Boston. But we've crushed a few cars that have rusted away yeah. over time with too many winters. The salt's just <laughs> terrible. But uh, which is why we built the composite cars, you know, the sunrise, yeah. you know, from the light speed, the flash, the sunrise. But, you know, this picture, I don't know if that, EV1, yeah, it, was, show. it, it, it shows as impact. You can't quite read that, but on the door it says impact. Great name for a car. Yeah. But uh, the uh, General Motors, between General Motors, I put them as sort of the poster child of a car company, a traditional car company that the people in the EV1 program loved EVs. The salespeople, the, the, you know, the designers, developers that came, a lot of them came up with AeroVironments and then GM joined together because mm -hmm. AeroVironments yeah. built their solar car for them to compete in the 1987 wow. World Solar Challenge yeah. in Australia when we went at the same time. NGM sponsored us as well. Hmm. But there were those people, and then there was a corporate and people around in and around corporate that absolutely detested the whole idea of electric vehicles and right. everything it represented. And they were completely against each other. And when Bob Stemple was at General Motors and we, we met him, he was an advisor to us. Yeah. Um, while he was there, and but more when he left there, and we went to energy conversion devices, Stan Rosinski's nickel metal hydride yeah. battery business. But he promoted this car at the very beginning. When he left, uh, uh, Chairman uh, Smith, Roger Smith, he rolled out the final production version of the EV1, which is not this car. This is the air environment impact that was built for General Motors. But he never really liked the electric car. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't want it to succeed. And, you know, General Motors and Ford, Toyota, Honda, they were forced into it by California Air yeah. Resources Board, the whole CARB, 2%, then 10% EVs by 2000, I think, 1 and 2003. Mm -hmm. And it kept ratcheting up. And even more scary than that, as if that's not scary enough for the uh, traditional automakers, Massachusetts, 
Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Sorry, we're all going to follow suit. Mm-hmm. They're like, as long as this happens in California, we're going to take that on too, yeah. um, as some things tend to go. But what happened was that California mandate single-handedly amped up and put a lot of power into the EV incarnation of the 90s and single-handedly Killed destroyed it. it. <laughs> and that's the sad thing. If In some ways, I think if it had never happened, it might have grown more organically and carefully, but it probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah. But if they just kept that mandate, if they had forced it, because the, the secret truth is, and this is a, this is a true story, you'd have to dig deep into some annals of some people that would probably not even talk about it. But General Motors and Ford both had very close relationships with us, and we were deeply involved in mm. what was actually going to be their products to meet yeah. the mandates. The force was going to be made in that Ingersoll, Ontario, Canada, General Motors Suzuki joint venture with our whole kit was going to be made on their production line. And that's what was going to power what they needed, not the EV1. The EV1 cost, they said, a million dollars a copy. It was a billion dollar program. They delivered a thousand cars. That's the story. And then they crushed them all, which is real. Which yeah. is really sad. I mean, and why would you? The, it's a cool car. Why yeah. would you crush it? And that's the documentary in a, in a nutshell. Who killed, who killed the electric car? Right. car. Yeah. And that's a very sad story. But and so it's true then that at some point the exit for your original investor was to Chevy and Ford and having and basically creating the the prototype or the platform on which the original automakers could build electric cars. Yeah. And it, and so we didn't use a Ford car, but how were we tied in with Ford? We had, this is 100% truth, we had a, I think it was a $2.5 million contract, mm. sounds little today, yeah. but for providing the drive system yeah. for the Ford Think City car. It was a little two-seat car. If anyone out there remembers the Ford Think mm-hmm. City, something, one of those, two of those three words, was a little car, plastic-bodied car, and we were part of the drive system for that. Mm. And they literally, when the mandate got killed, they pulled the contract out from under us. It was a full contract. We were operating on it. We had to work to collect on it. Wow. It was Anita being the smarter one of the two of us. She was in control of HR, you know, people stuff, finance and uh, accounting. She had to collect on that. And it was a, it was a tough one to get that, to get some of that money out from Ford. But the whole industry just ended And, you know, we had gone through, we'd made pickup trucks, we made step vans, we made school Mm -hmm. bus drive systems. We we moved more and more into making drive systems. But then as the EV mandate died, all the utilities and government fleets just turned off all the orders. No more orders came. And we sold a few cars here and there, like Robin Williams bought one, uh, a a two-seat Force GT with an extra motor and an extra batteries and longer range. You know, we were building NICAD and nickel metal cars that were getting, you know, 120 miles in a, in a converted car. Yeah. Is it true um, that, that force is from the Star Wars? There are a lot of influences. If you look at the S in Selectria, there's none right here, but the S in Selectria is a, is a Star Wars shaped S. Is that right? And, you know, force, light speed. So the font uh, is? Some pieces of the font are mm. borrowed from Star. We don't extend the S yeah. the way the Star Wars is. I, rec- I recognize there's probably some some trademark, if not some direct conversations with uh, with their organization to ensure that you're not infringing. Yes, we we got a letter from Lucasfilm when <laughs> when the Force came out, and uh, with no money changing hands, we settled on. We can use the name Force, but they, we can never refer to Star Wars movie. We can never say phrases like, may the Force be with you. Right. 
and we joked about it, but mm. we joked about it, telling people about the story sure. of the Lucas letter. Right. So it made it even more fun. Sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so a lot of those names, lights be the flash, mm-hmm. the sunrise, not so much, but these names are kind of influences of, mm. of Star Wars. Fun, fun Very stuff. Very fun. That's a, that's yeah. a fun fact for sure. Uh, I'm going to uh, push forward in time a decade because with the sunset of the CARB incentives, uh, thus entrepreneurial quandary, what are we really doing and how are we going to build this company? History will show that you did successfully exit, sell Solaria Corporation. What was that exit about? Like how, how did you actually salvage the company into a sense of like you actually got a chance to have an entrepreneurial exit? Yeah, it's an interesting story. And uh, again, a, a lot of other people involving successfully guiding this process. But we had migrated into a company that I always said to myself, my wife and others, that anyone can be can be this company. We were basically doing a lot of R&D mm-hmm. contracts, corporate customers, government contracts, military. We did a lot of military contracts, right. building power supplies and DC DC converters. We made inverters that made three phase with an artificial neutral without yeah. ground, like all these different things for hospital Humvees mm-hmm. and hybrid Humvees. And I went home some days, you know, literally smelling like diesel fuel. Wow. Like, you know, like- You became experts in power conditioning and, yeah, and electric conversion devices. It was just, um, the dream was gone. The spark was mm-hmm. gone. It was a, I hate hybrids. I've always hated hybrids. <laughs> Elon Musk says it best. It, it puts- all the it puts the worst things of, of both types of cars all in one car. You're lugging around mm. these batteries that you don't use all the time. Then you're lugging around this engine when you're doing your short term driving. And but it's a means to an end. And and you know in the 90s there were people in our company. We did experiments with hybrids early on. We did an, an odd clip on the back hybrid. We did a little trailer. We never brought an engine into the vehicle. I would wouldn't have that. But our CFO was dead set on basically the concept of the Insight and the Prius, that, that if we did, did that customer before they 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 did that product. But I was like, that's going to be too complicated. There's too much stuff in the car. And to this day, you know, now that hybrids are, are the big thing right now, of course, all of us future thinking people, we can see them sunsetting. I mean, they're, they're done. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, hybrids are just, oh, I can't wait till they're gone. Yeah. Um, they're actually the I found some statistics. They're the they're the highest chance of of a fire in a car. Wow! It's like, why would that be? Well, they have twice as much technology all wrapped together. They got liquid gasoline, they got fuel pumps, and they have batteries. Isn't so you, it arguable though that without the well, like Toyota Prius as an example, without that, it's arguable that we wouldn't have the electric vehicle revolution that we have today. That's a great question. In a way, hybrids helped and hurt electric vehicles. Because when the mandate came, ah, at the cr- same time the mandate died, guess what year it was? Around 2000, when the inklings of the heavy losses were, and mm. what came out? The Insight and yeah. then the Prius. So all our individual customers, save Robin Williams and a few other people, went and ran to this thing they can get that, well, it's not electric. I really want an electric car, but they're too expensive and I can't find one. And so they all could buy this mass market car. Yeah. And yes- Everyone was driving a very small part electric car, but you couldn't plug it in. It delayed it, by 20 years. The I inevitable. Think, I think Toyota and Honda did an unbelievable job coming out with a really neat high mileage gas car yeah. called a hybrid that delayed the electric vehicle industry by 15 or 20 years. Now, at the time, why in 2000 couldn't we succeed in our own selling? Then the force became a $33,000 four seat subcompact car that could go 50 miles lead or 
a $70,000 car that goes 120 miles nickel out of hydro. That's it. That's all she wrote. That's what you get. Yeah. And it was the best car for the money by far and a long way that you, you could buy the money. That's pretty poor performance results. Yeah. You know, and the acceleration was pretty good in the city. It was great, but not that great on the highway. Yeah. You could get up to 70, but it took a while to get there. You know, you could go a few exits on the highway, no problem. But that that was it. So the batteries were still the issue. The other lead right. acid batteries, we put we put the smallest battery of anyone making EVs, just 800 pounds, just 800 pounds of batteries in that Metro. We kept it with the passengers well within the GVW because you, how you, you can't go over GVW. A lot of other people are going over GVW. What's the GVW? Gross, gross vehicle value. weight. Yeah, gross vehicle so weight. the gross vehicle weight designed and developed into any car is tested and safety, the life yeah. of the bearings, the, the the strength of all the metal. The roll Someone capacity, else yeah. spent, the roll capacity, someone else spent millions of dollars getting that number established. Right. We can't not use that number. Right. So the gross vehicle weight is stamped in the car forever and we can't yeah. change that. So you know, we reduced our carrying capacity. You know, we had, I think for a time, like 550 pounds. So it better be two men and two fairly light either kids or women in the back, but not not four guys. And sure, we went on test drives with four guys at a utility yeah. when we were delivering a car, teaching them about <laughs> it. But, but you know, you can over GVW a car with an extra load for some short amount of time, sure. but it better not be your day in and day out. Most of the time, cars are used in fleets with one or two people anyway. Yeah. So it's not an issue. But anyway, the lead acid battery and then the nickel metal battery was not bad at, it was about $20,000 kind of a lot of money and it got the car 120 miles which at the time was pretty exciting better than the leaf but yeah i suppose yeah. um but at the leaf that came out what 2011 yeah the real pioneer to get a car once lithium batteries came yeah and that was what we were missing the lithium batteries and i was afraid of lithium it was just starting to come when we were you know when there were fires and airplanes yeah. for people's cell phones or mm -hmm. computers then boeing had a new plane that had a lithium battery that caught on fire and then they put put back the NICADs real Quickly. quick. Um, but anyway, the batteries just weren't there. And Elon and Nissan, 2010-11, that's when it really started to get exciting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I started playing with lithium myself at <laughs> home by 2012-13. Yeah. Now I have four cars with well, lithium. But well, well, six years earlier than that, 2005, is the exit to Azure by Solaria Corporation. How did that decision come about? And what did that mean for you and the and the and Anita and the original selectoria team? Yeah, so that was a that was a tough thing. We had taken on a uh, investor from Singapore, mm -hmm. actually the Singapore government, Singapore Kinetics Technology. They own Singapore Airlines, some cruise lines, and hotels, military industrial complex. They invested in Selectric Corporation because they definitely believed that electric vehicle technology and hybrid was going to be a major important thing coming up. Yeah, along the time. Um, we got those contracts with Ford and General Motors, and that was a very exciting time. We moved to a much bigger building. We were set up to manufacture electric vehicle parts. Then the mandate died. Everything kind of changed. We started becoming this research company, doing all this yeah. research stuff, still delivering dry systems to customers, but no no hundreds or thousands of, of the same vehicle being built. You're sending one for five of these and 10 of these and two of these and one prototype here. We did like something to make a Prius put power into the grid with Arthur D. Little and mm. like all kinds of neat, but things that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And it, that was really frustrating me. So I started a corner office project on solar inverters in 2003 while at Selectric. This is kind of like being at MIT and starting <laughs> something that's going to become a company. So I had a person in operations 
IBK Crot, a, a very new hire in a, in engineering, uh, Michael Zerker, uh, who is a software and hardware designer, and a couple of other people that we developed, you know, basically a residential and a and a commercial inverter. You know, talking to customers. Some of our EV friends are Stephen Strong. It was in the solar industry, you know, a magnate figure for sure in solar for 40 years, mm. or solar design associates. Mm-hmm. He was a great mentor about solar inverters. He told me everything I should and shouldn't do, you know, with listen to him greatly. He was really excited that if we could, if Selectric could get into inverters and do it right, oh, it'd be great. And uh, so we listened to him very carefully and we started developing these products and we started to get some sales, even within this electric vehicle company, as Selectric Corporation, the yeah. products with the, the same logo. And right about that time, an investor came along who wanted to buy Selectria. Yeah. And they have one interest, medium and heavy duty hybrid trucks, huh. buses and things like yeah. that. They didn't care about electric cars. They didn't care about the composites division we had that had built this all composite sunrise car, the, the real dream car. That was like my real dream coming true when we finally had money enough to do our own car after many years. Yeah. And they surely had no interest in grid connection and grid power yeah. and solar. Forget about that. What the solar is never going to be anything. But I had seen solar and I you know, talk to our management team, whatever they gave them my slide deck. You know, now we're using PowerPoint, not yeah. enough flimsies, yeah, not right. at MIT. I convinced folks that this made sense, that here's the market. We can use our smarts and some of our technology, some of our circuit boards, yeah. some of our designs for inverters that take battery power, that's DC, and run a three-phase AC right. motor. We're making AC from DC. Like, as Scott Bowden says, turn the Gazinta into the Gazada. That's how we would t- talk to our utility. Utility customers didn't like that, but a lot of customers yeah. liked that. It was very funny. It wasn't a whole lot to change our electronics to build to work with the grid because they had to build to drive a motor at yeah. any speed and any power and you know any amount yeah. of current and yep. voltage. So we could, the grid's easy. It's just this 60 hertz sine wave and you yeah. have to lock into that and then feed current. And, you know, some... Some smarts, not something I understand. I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer, not an electrical engineer. I can put wires together and put parts together, yeah. but that's software and electronics. That's not me. So that, you know, solar inverters were starting. This investor came in called Azure Dynamics. They're a public Canadian company, and they wanted to buy the company, and they bought the company. And our president at the time, John Mulcair, said to me, James, it doesn't matter how hard you try to convince them, they they don't want to do anything with the solar thing. It's just going to be scrapped. It's not going to go anywhere. It's done. Right. I have an idea, John said to me. He said, why don't you spin it out? Do it yourself. And I, I'm thinking like, why would they ever let, let that happen? Like just, well, let's just see. And so we started working on it. We said for $1, I would buy all the exclusive rights to all the technology the structure has only for the use on renewable stationary power electronics. Wow. Boring stuff that's yeah. never going to be anything. That it would, And it worked perfectly. They, for $1. They, for $1. So they basically said, something we don't want has nothing to do. They didn't, they didn't want to lose me yeah. either. But John Mulcair knew, and he probably, I think he must have talked to them, that mm-hmm. they knew I wouldn't be, he knew I wouldn't be happy working under some other company. You sure. Know, especially on hybrids when yeah. I was, I was still, I was whining about hybrids then. I didn't like hybrids <laughs> even back then. I told everyone um, what we're doing is silly. You know, it's just what we have to do. So there it was. I literally had a standing meeting every night with about five different people at a Panera Bread right around the corner from the company no way. with like, I, we set the whole thing out. I was going to get, you know, 
a Noah's Ark of two of these parts, two of those parts, two of this inverter, two of that, these, this test scope, there's little pieces of things and four people. I could have any four people that I wanted, but that's it. No. And then I can't poach. I can't take any other yeah, people from the company because, okay. and I didn't want to hurt our own company. Yeah. That we'd, so I had this meeting and we end up, you know, connecting up with who became the four partners of Select Renewables, wow. uh, myself, my wife, Michael Zerker and IBK Crot. And there yeah. were a couple other people that we wanted, but, but, they felt the security of Selectra Corporation and didn't want to go to this newfangled yeah. crazy thing. Even with my presentation, I had my slide deck, you know, showing, you know, in papers Damn, on the and, table, yeah. and, you know, with the coffee at the, yeah, the Panera. Yeah, exactly. The adjustable market. What can we get? How much of it can we get? The incumbents. features. And we already did, had it all figured you, out. Where did you see the gap when you all sat around in Panera? Where did you see the gap that you'd fill? Well, I mean, we saw... Basically, or, or there was, was Xantrex like, commercial and, yeah. and, and SMA and a really crappy Xantrex residential. Those were the, those were the products. Yeah. And, the, and, and I installed several of those that crappy Xantrex residential. I think we were talking about it. Was, was that long, thin yeah. box? It's like a hundred and I remember Steve Vela at Acroelectric told me that they had a 140% replacement rate of wow. that. Like just, shortly before Schneider ended up acquiring Xantrex platform. 140%. That's like they replaced everything and then they replaced, they replaced 40% of those. <laughs> Anyway, so as, as you know, it's preparing to come down to the interview today at, down to the museum building here. My wife was telling me, I remember that time we went, her and I flew out to Prescott, Arizona for mm. 2004. And actually we witnessed the merging of SEPA and SIA. Oh, yeah. Ham, I think was there. Julia, and Julia yeah. Ham. And, and they Rome were literally, Rash. we didn't know what these people were talking about. We we're all sitting out on like a big patio no with way. round tables and a cement deck with poolside and we're, <laughs> we're eating lunch you know, some simple catered lunch buffet style. And we're sitting here chatting and these people are on the microphone. They're talking about, they're sort of fighting about how they're going to merge. And we're like, does this make sense? And they're going to like taking a vote wow. by like board members. But we were all on the side of, you know, the trade show was like a hundred people, maybe uh, 150 people. It was in a, a ballroom, maybe three times as big as this room. Wow. And we had like maybe 20 booths, like little like tabletops. And, and we brought down our little kit with our, to show our residential, our 13 kilowatt commercial and our residential 1.8, 2.5, right up, right. Amazing. Poke SMA right in the, right in the eyes. Same, same exact power levels, <laughs> better, cheaper, faster. And right next to us was, was EcoStar Ballard, a spinoff from Ford with their liquid cooled 25 kilowatt commercial inverter, liquid cooled inverter. Really? So wow. they were all full of themselves and they thought we'd never be anything. They were literally like really snobby about Ballard it. Ballard power that's now focused on fuel cells. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an interesting time down there, but very formative time. Like we were, we were definitely out there. Like, you know, and sometimes we weren't so sure of ourselves. Like, is this really going to work? And, but we we're dead set on it, doing what the customers asked us to do and, mm. and uh, performing on it. And coming back from that show, you know, we felt pretty charged up that, you know, we have something that's that's worth something here. If we move fast and and the industry was moving glacially slow compared to how it, it moves these days. You know, you had SATCON just growing up. They were coming out of the the military sort of military industrial area, moving into these solar inverters, coming out with a line of solar inverters from like I think I don't know. They had a thirty, a fifty, a seventy-five, a hundred, and they were they weren't quite selling at that time in two thousand two three. But they were coming online fast, and they're our big arch rival in the commercial space. And we we were way better, cheaper, faster, more efficient. I mean, every feature, as I remember it, I, I remember being at a, a bigger trade show in Washington D.C. Mm. in the basement of some hotel, and their stuff was just 
so much heavier yeah. and thicker, like totally custom I, cabinetry. You know, we partnered with cabinet companies and built the cabinet around their tooling. Yeah. And we morphed our design to fit their tooling so we didn't have to pay for custom tooling. You know, obviously, later on, we yeah. it was all our custom stuff. But yeah. why, if they have a 24 by 36 by six foot cabinet and our stuff can fit in that, why don't we make it any different? That SACCON always designed their own cabinet, their yeah. own way. And it was always way more complicated. So, you know, installed, their cabinet costs three times it. what ours cost. Yeah, my first project, Chartwell School in uh, in California, Monterey, California, was a 30-kilowatt SATCON. Oh. It was one of the very early ones. Yeah, I had one a, size we never made. We, we Like, I remember Scott and Brad, you know, the, the other guys, Alice, and it's like, we, we kind of had that middle of the road. We You can't dumb down a, a, a 75 mm. to 30 and, and have it be cost effective, yeah. but we couldn't amp up. The, the 15, we yeah. needed a new, and we never did it. We just, yeah. we, we just reduced the cost of the, we made the 13, 15, so you could use a pair, yeah. a two pack, and we reduced the cost of it. We cut that thing, the cost in half yeah. over like four years. And the 75, we ended up going up to 100 and going down to 50. So the 50 was expensive, but we kind of met yeah. it in the middle. So we ended up getting that. And then SATCON popped and there was no 30. And, it, and a 30 really never came until the wall hung inverters of, the, of today which, you know, the flood of the Chinese and the yeah. whole, that whole fight. You, you told me earlier in the first part of our interview about yours and Andrew's mentality of uh, rushing quickly with innovation and making up for it with love is how, you, <laughs> is how you described it to me. You said, you know, if you wait forever to perfect a product, then you just get it out too late. What are some examples early in the life of Selectria where – you feel like you rightfully rushed to market to fill a niche and to, and to solve a problem where you had to uh, address problems with love. Yeah, I think uh, love equaling really good and really expensive customer service, right, but, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. but, but, but making sure that customers happy at the end and that they're kind of come back and, mm-hmm. and buy more product. I mean, in the end, there's an efficiency, yeah. right, of having a product well enough tested, all the bugs worked out, and speed – and making a profit and, and, and not making up for it with too much customer service. There's right. some kind of a mix there. And I'm not saying we ever got it right, but our reliability was, was I'm going to say at the time, reasonable. Yeah, There were people with better reliability and there were people with much worse reliability. And yeah. that's how a lot of our, char- our customers characterize us. But at the same time, with that mix of being kind of reasonable reliability, yeah. kind of maybe right here in the list of from bad to good and we're kind of there. We also had a cost efficiency, a feature set and all sorts of other surrounding, I'm going to say, you know, like side products that made the whole package really compelling, you mm-hmm. know, string combiners, uh, web-based monitoring early, early on. Right. We, Michael Zerker one day said, we need to have web, web-based monitoring. Right. And we just brought someone in and in two months we had web-based monitoring. Wow. I mean, it was unheard of in, well, this about- was, you know, 2000, Seven. Yeah. I think I designed the box for it while on vacation in Florida. Huh. While people were at the pool, I was like designing this box. I had to get it done, get it out to sheet metal shop so it would be done when I got back. The, the first product that I installed uh, was the NEMA 4X. You guys like really had the only, I'll say, bulletproof stainless steel cabinet. And Allison must have sold thousands of them. Uh, Allison Duffy, uh, she's the the queen of yeah. solar sails, in our opinion. Um, <laughs> she works with Andrew now. Yeah, course. she does. What about innovations like that? Were there 
core decisions like that that ultimately you made a bet and they and they worked out for you. Yeah, I mean the stainless steel cabinets. An, an, another example of where customer voice just told us what to do. It's like if a customer is asking for something, there's something simple. It's yeah. like how many can we sell if we do this thing they're asking for? Yeah. How weird is it? Because you have to say no sometimes. That's right. But what's it going to cost us? And most people think, oh my God, stainless steel enclosure, that's mm-hmm. going to be so expensive. We're never going to sell very many. But is it really just getting a different enclosure material? What's the big deal? That's what yeah. I, so I go with the enclosure manufacturer. What is it going to cost in stainless steel? Oh, it's going to, okay, it's going to be three, three times the money for the cabinet. Okay, big deal. So, you know, we changed the bug screens from uh, non, you know, from just plain aluminum to fiberglass so they wouldn't also be attacked by salt. And we went through mm-hmm. other things in design to harden them up. We anodized, hard anodized the exterior aluminum parts uh, that would would get corroded. And we put uh, no locks paste on our terminals inside the inverter because, you know, we're blowing air through the inverter. So we didn't want those terminals to corrode. And a lot of these features ended up going on the standard products. We actually... Because those people asked for a more ruggedized salt salt mm-hmm. air environment near the beach, like at a Hilton hotel on the roof where it got helicoptered in in, in, in Hawaii yeah. with another Al- Allison not genius, you know, those benefits can can fall back and to make the regular where it was cost effective. We just dumped all those things into the regular design. So we were forced to learn something we didn't really want to learn. No, there were other people came and said, oh, we want to use the inverter for wind. Can you yeah. make the software special for wind? And we looked at it and we said – Who's this company? How many are they going to sell? Are there other markets we can sell to? No, not really, and not very much. So we said no to like five different wind projects. I think one thing we sold to where they said, we'll we'll make a separate box that will control your inverter so you don't have to change the software. And I think we said yes to that, and it didn't turn out to be anything. You know, yeah. it's like we just sold a standard product, and we gave them some way to like connect to the data port to get some information in and out. But I can't number them. The number yeah. of there's so many features and options that came from customers. It goes all the way back to the cars, like utilities. For some god awful reason, they wanted cruise control. It's like, <laughs> why do you cruise control if the car goes 50 miles? Yeah. Like, just use the accelerator. It's like, nope, that's not how we're gonna we're gonna listen to them. And we put cruise control. On it. it was two buttons. Yeah, set cruise and disable cruise, and it cost us like 15 cents. Okay, it cost us 20 dollars, but we sold that option for like. $400 right. and every customer bought it in the utility Amazing. and the fleets because they buy a Ford Taurus cruise console. They're going to buy our cars. Cruise control. Right. It doesn't matter that it doesn't need to be there. Are we taking advantage of people? No, they ask for it as an option. You don't have, it's expensive. You don't have to pay $400 yeah. for it. Another, another example would be, um, I mean, early on we knew we needed air conditioning yeah. and battery thermal management, things that we need to baby the battery, but you know, with the inverters, you know, having a good display, that the the user can push buttons, can go through different things, can use it for diagnostics. Our inverter started with blinking LEDs. You remember the days of the SMAs that you'd knock on it, the LEDs would blink at you mm-hmm. and you'd have to count them and then look in the manual. And that's how the earlier inverters were. So we added an LCD display, alphanumeric display that could tell customers all sorts of things. You could go through screens and that at the same time became our web-based monitor. So you could set your, your uh, you know, your access codes and whatever to get onto your network. So, uh, you know, many features like that got added and people mm. wanted fused disconnects or they wanted <laughs> unfused disconnects. And I was like, oh, so we actually had a very complex set of SKUs and options and it made, 
it made some of the management and some of the operational stuff quite difficult. And that's where IBK and her purchasing team and the operations and the build people, I mean, they had they had a lot to handle. We had configuration sheets that would, would drive people insane. There were so many different checkboxes and unchecked boxes. They'd, oh, they don't want this on there. They do want it there. And we, it became like a la carte, like an a la carte menu, like yeah. going to Chinese and getting dim song. Was that, was that a, a feature uh, or a bug about the Selectria company as a development? Well, that, yeah, that's a great question. Does, does too much complexity then hold us back? Mm. And uh, yeah. we love the, we called them vanilla. You know, like we, the only inverters we built not to spec were vanilla inverters. We would just build some, like when the line had extra time, we built some vanilla inverters. And if you wanted, if someone called in and they said, yep, we can build that vertical lead times three weeks, but by the way, we have a vanilla inverter, this and this. Oh, we even have a stainless steel available that some customer d- mm-hmm. didn't take one of them. And and sometimes people would buy those and they loved it because they could get them immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, big commercial inverter, could be yeah. 100 kilowatt, it's in stock. Um, so people love that. But with with the, the residential inverters, there was no customization. We knew that there was yeah. no way those could be customized. We built residential panels at the time that had visible blade, lockable AC right. and DC disconnected, had meter sockets. So we, that was custom. You could order 17 different ways. You could get one, two, or three inverters up on one panel. The unions loved this. I don't know yeah. why, because it's a lot less labor for them. And usually they like labor in a, in a union. Huh. But they they are the ones that got, the unions got us to do these residential panels first. And then we sold thousands of residential panel yeah. assemblies, we call them. But with the commercial inverters, they're the exact opposite. They're completely customizable. We knew we were building this giant box and, you know, a, a fused or unfused disconnect difference is like a couple hundred, $150 different, right. maybe 400 or 600 So for a 400 amp disconnect, you know, big disconnects like that. So why not let the customer have that, that money? Why do we want to take more money, be less competitive out there and be wasting yeah. material when they're going to have a... A, few, a circuit breaker right there. They don't need another fuse in the inverter. Mm. It's just wasting a little energy. It's wasting parts, more reliability. We're going to get a call on something. So if they want it that way, you know, we've had things where you could turn disconnects. And, you know, the salespeople single-handedly loved and hated all these options because yeah. they needed to educate customers and all that. We had sure. training sessions that were like 40 slides long. And I remember giving them Sometimes with not enough sleep, sometimes with too much partying at a at a, uh, a late at night SBI, at a trade yeah. show. Exactly, they had big parties there. And at at seven in the morning, we have you know fifty electricians. And Scott and I, we, he also had dark sunglasses. He was he was very professional. This he dragged me along, and we'd be up in front of these guys with donuts and coffee, and yeah. we're teaching them with all our funny little antics about all these options and how you order them, and they'd get quite confused, but they. They realize, oh, I can get it this way, I can mm. get it that way. And so it was, uh, that is interesting though, that you brought in that was that a curse or a blessing? And mm. I think most customers saw it as we're really bending for the customer. We've yeah. set up our whole system. We've made a, a, a well-oiled machine, as some people called it at the time, to handle a completely custom yeah. build inverter that doesn't seem like custom. It's more like when you order... A car, like when you order your Tesla online, okay, we didn't get that mm, far, yeah. but it just drops in and all the stuff you were, okay, they yeah. don't have many options, but cars that have a lot of options, it just, the right options drop in. It doesn't, it's a and little like more a overhead. Like a configurator, basically. Like a configurator. Yeah. And it became very mechanized. We these mm. great sheets, the traveler would follow all the way through the plant and the inspectors all the way down the line, right up to the end, you'd inspect to make sure every option that's on mm. there got on there. Sometimes there were custom, there was a line for custom options where someone wanted They wanted the label to be 499 kilowatts, not 500. 
Hey, solar project owners and developers, are infrequent field checks in your operations and maintenance plan and oversight? Do you need proper insight? Well, let data drive your maintenance. Our friends over at 60 Hertz are in the cloud so that you spend less time on the ground and their app is a snap. 60 Hertz in your pocket will help bring solar to the socket. You can learn more about how 60 Hertz can help your operations and maintenance plan at mysuncast.com forward slash 60HERTZ. That's 60 Hertz. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. You can see how, you know, listening to the way you talk about it and the, what we all know about the the ultimate, um, you know, again, the ultimate result, uh, successful asset sale. What I want folks to take away is as an entrepreneur, listening to the customer, focusing on quickly deploying an idea and loving the customer with customer service, which is something that in our industry, unfortunately, is not a common feature. Your market will find you. The thing that that resonates for me, and you can't script these, you can't time this. Uh, you in a, a, the in the, the mid '80s could not have guessed that CARB was going to come out with an incentive program that would forecast California and that would ultimately lift Solectria into we'll call it profitability, but certainly viability. I remember in 2006-7 seeing Solectria and thinking, "There's no way I would buy this." SMA has uh, a, a similar product better road uh, roadmap, better, candidly, like a better sales force in California where I was selling yeah. solar. Grass Valley. Yeah. And you guys had a great, you had a huge uh, customer base here in the Northeast, but in California, nobody cared uh, until- Allison Duffy. Well, until Duffy, for sure. She's a force all of her own, right? Yeah. And there is a bit of like, if we had time, we could talk about like the, the, the importance of recruitment to your car, to the team, et cetera. And I remember like spending, you know, it's, it's just seeing Duffy. She's a force of nature uh, as a salesperson. But 2008, global financial crisis, Obama institutes the now famous American Reinvestment and Recovery Act, which mandated for government buildings, uh-huh. American made. Oh, I remember that now. How important was that to the life of Selectria? I know it came up from time to time. But it, I don't think it had a giant impact. I mean, we did, mm. we got on some military installations. We got on some government buildings, a lot of schools. I wonder if that'd us. be Allison's answer, because I felt like Solectria was the, was the soup du jour for government like facilities from then on. I feel like that was yeah, like, you, locked, you guys locked that market. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe others will know more. Allison, Duffy, uh, Scott, Bowden, Brad, sure. Sherman, they, they did a lot of the, all the early selling so, in that time, yeah. the big sell, the big growth years yeah. means multiple three years in a row, 300% growth wow. every year. I mean, just crazy through that 2008 to 10 area. That was the, the really crazy, like yeah. out-of-body experience. Like how do we even keep up with this marathon? Yeah. Like with you manufacturing like, with- Do you feel like anybody doing like who was a peer of yours was having the same experience? I would, I would guess that uh, some did, but I don't know if- 
they had that much growth that many years in a row because yeah. we were the industry grew at standard then 30 to 40 percent a year yeah. but we were growing 300 mm-hmm. percent so we were taking market share and getting growth yeah. at the same time we were taking someone else's market share every one of those years mm. all the way through we kind of went went down to like that 20, 30% growth. We yeah. are just kind of keeping up with industry growth. Sure. And that's when things were getting really tough. And that's actually when, when, uh, um, uh, came into the picture, when yeah. it made a lot of sense for their lower cost manufacturing in the Midwest, still making things in the U S and their like unbelievable level of quality. I mean, yeah. their Yaskawa's level of quality. And so like was known in the industry as the hot among the highest level of quality and attention to detail, as you pointed out yeah. before we go to Yaskawa. One other question. Those who are currently operating in the United States market will, rep- will recognize a name like Chen Power. But back in 2006 to 2010 timeframe, while Chen in China was recognized as a mega top 10 company, they, they had almost no presence here. Um, our friends Ed and Kyle Cherick and these guys um, were early in to help sort of raise that company purview in the United States. But m- my sense is that a lot of their credibility came from a partnership with a little-known company in Massachusetts or a, a little-known company on the Western region of the United States, at least. How did the relationship with Chint come about? And you'd mentioned that, we'll point out that you said the the residential line was not customized. It was it was like churn. It was just a, you know, it was a, a standard product. Talk to me about the decision to partner on manufacturing with a company like Chint rather than continue manufacturing in-house. Yeah, so the, the Chint relationship came along because these wall hung inverters were moving very fast. Mm-hmm. We had the big American made heavy mm-hmm. transformer base. Yeah. We had peaked the efficiency real nice. We got up to uh great values, 96, 96 and a half, even 97% right. with amorphous core transformers. We had run out the, to the technology limit of how good you could do with that. But it still involved this big-ass transformer that didn't need to be there. Yeah. And with that big transformer, it commanded a big cabinet mm-hmm. that adds money. And then all the other electronics weren't a whole lot different. But it forced the design to be a certain size and weight. And we saw the writing on the wall that we need to have we need to have that type of inverter. Transformerless. And we were transformless, wall-hung. And we weren't sure if it was going to be a fad or how much it was going to take over. That was a mistake. But the genius I'd say we did have was to, and we looked at several companies, but we partnered with Chin because they didn't have much of a, a, presence. a presence over here. It, it, we tested the product. It looked pretty good. It, the quality looked, looked pretty reasonable. We had some troubles with it, I, I'll tell you. We had mm. a bunch we had to replace. And with our reputation, we just, we just paid for it. We, we yeah. replaced them and replaced them and replaced them. And, um, and you know, quality, you know, in general, they had a they had a pretty strong quality standard. We went over there and, and visited the plant countless yeah. times. We had that close relationship, but in the end, we, in the meantime, we were developing our own inverter that was going to be much more reliable and you know every bit as efficient, have more features, a few more options. But it ended up taking a bit too long. Yeah, and uh, the best thing out of it came our fifteen hundred volt. That's a great product. I say R, but it's I started that. And got about halfway down the road when when my wife and I uh, left left uh, the company. Yeah. Uh, when they moved the manufacturing to the Midwest, that was kind of like 
yeah. uh, a sad time mm-hmm. for uh, for us because that's half of what we built was was going away, and those people got laid off. They a lot of them got offered jobs if they want to move to the Midwest and, sure. and have uh, White Castle burgers instead of uh, whatever we have over here. Yeah. But uh, the fifteen hundred volt was a uh, was a. Uh, very successful product, and I believe it still is to be is 600 volt AC, 1500 volt DC, very cost effective in a in a, a much smaller box. And it, I think they're doing a quarter megawatt in a in a wow. in a box that weighs about 400 pounds. Um, you know, it doesn't hang on a wall, but it's utility scale. Yeah, um, but it's it's much you know different than central inverters. A whole lot less mass and money. Yeah, in terms of dollars per watt, it's a much better better benefit. Did Yaskawa value uh, the the residential line of inverters as, as a as a core piece of the asset they were buying? No, they they I don't I believe that they Yaskawa America didn't have they didn't really like at all a lot of these as you call it, private labeled yeah. things. And you know, there's a there's a certain rhyme to that reason. I sure. mean it, um and the residential was completely that. We had a very close relationship with with Delta, it was previously mm-hmm. Exendus. Yeah. We made the inverter kind of our own. We had one of Michael's workers early things was to work on the software actually yeah. in Germany. So it's Germany. He worked there for the first couple of months and then came to the company and worked on some wacky projects, some uh, some solar driven like blimp thing at our <laughs> company for some, I think I one of these are re- research products. And then he started working on the commercial inverter and then he was working exclusively on a 2003 area. But that inverter uh, line, uh, we were the pretty much the only outlet for 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 this, you know, the whole America's area. And uh, we it was very much integrated with these residential panels, so yeah. it could fit different codes in different states. You could get it a la carte, again, mm-hmm. kind of very customized to the panel, or you could just buy the inverter just yeah. in a box and do it all yourself if you really like to tinker with yeah. all the other stuff. You know, we sold tens of thousands of those, but we never got to the, the, we never got the sales level of, you know, someone like uh, Solar Edge or Enphase at the time. And then they, Yaskawa didn't want to continue the residential line yeah. after about, I don't know, 2015 or 16. And they uh, wanted to end it. You know, I'd always wanted to be in residential, commercial and utility scale grid tight inverse. I'd be that focused, but not even more focused within only some yeah. those inverters. And I can see different ways. They, they Scow want to focus in on stuff that we actually make, yeah. you know, because that's where the real value value add is. And I, I can understand that, uh, but it's not not what I originally did or, yeah. or would do. I got a chance to hear, and I'd love like the, maybe the two-minute version for you. Again, we talked about why it made sense for Azure by Selectria the first time. Um, and you spun out Selectria Renewables for a dollar license. Paint the picture, you know, Scott and I and, and Mercedes Pereira, we ran around Latin America, you know, it's sort of, so I've heard a lot the the, the understanding or the knowledge of like why Yaskawa was a great partner for Selectria. For those who are unfamiliar, in a two-minute version, why did it make sense for Yaskawa to buy Selectria? Yaskawa was interested because they had like a hundred-year history in motor drives, three-phase mm-hmm. AC motor drives, and those kind of electronics, some automation and some robots. And they saw this as a neat way to get into the global solar inverter space, get mm-hmm. into renewables because mm-hmm. motor drives is growing, but it's growing a set amount every year. You know, there's always going to be more motor drives instead of just a motor that has a contact or that runs when it closes and, and it runs yeah. the air conditioner. Now there's inverters moving into everything. So the market's growing. 
and uh, they focus on on the bigger stuff, but they make stuff all the way down to a few hundred watts. Yeah. Uh, but they saw getting into solar as a neat way to parlay their their prowess in high quality hundred year history and motor yeah. drives into again another type of inverter that they could use some of their manufacturing or expertise. And uh, it was it was a neat a neat marriage. And it, what I really liked about it was that super Japanese level and American quality coming together with yeah. that hundred year history coming together with kind of a fast moving <laughs> grassroots built company. At times in the beginning of that relationship, it was very tough because they slowed down the progress of racing out a product. Right. But that's because the Yaskawa way is not to throw a product out there that isn't perfect. I yeah. mean, it has to be perfect because otherwise UPS is out here and that's gas. Uh-huh. Um, that has to be perfect because yeah. their reputation is perfect. Mm. They have the, they're like number one or two in the whole world for reliability of motor drives. Oh, wow. So they wanted that to be there. And they, they got bought into us and they, they bought the company because we were solid reliability. We were yeah. great in the industry, but in their terms, we were terrible. I mean, <laughs> they, they looked at a failure rate. I mean, a failure rate of, of, five six seven percent that's horrible yeah. and they have like 0.05 percent i mean right. a motor drive will come it's not like a home appliance that motor drive will come and 99.6 percent of them just run all day long in a dirty basement or an attic or a rooftop unit right. air conditioner and no one ever hears about it it's, it's dirty and horrible looking after 20 years and they replace it for a more efficient one or wow. something so that made sense to bring that in but with it becomes you know how about the speed? How about the cost? You yeah. know, are you going to use only Japanese-made and American parts? Can't use Chinese-made parts everywhere? <laughs> well, how about passives? How about resistors? Are they? And so there was a lot of thought about all that that went into, uh, well, how do we find a happy medium? And one of the most important ones was speed because you you can't take too long because, you know, there's, there's one thing about taking too long and missing a bunch of the market. Yeah. But another thing about taking too long is when a, when the cost is going down, you can't come out with a product that's that needed to come out here to meet the market, but now the cost is is down there, and yeah. you, you've <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work. So that's that's tough. So you know, they're I I I think they're doing well now. They found found that balance, but I think part of that balance also is they've gotten very streamlined. Like we we started knocking off the commercial version, like the ten to thirteen. We just dropped it because the wall hung units yeah. were taking over and. You know, and, and we streamed, they streamlined a lot of the model lines not to have so because you you can't be everything to everybody yeah. all the time. You know, I doubt they make stainless steel units anymore. I don't know. Maybe they do. But <laughs> things change, you know, and where we were an upstart company needed to make our market and it was worth it. We don't care how many all-nighters we had to spend to develop how many right. crazy options. And, you know, because we did all these special options, it's taking more time. We're waiting for these parts. Now that we have those parts, well, we need those parts. And- um, this orders do, and you know, it goes all the way back to the cars when I think the first sort of cars number three, four, and five, and six and seven. There were five cars that had to go out to California. It was like Christmas, Chris, the day before Christmas Eve, and we were across this. We were in a tiny little thirty-five hundred square foot muffler shop next to a liquor store in a tiny spot of land. Train tracks behind us. Across the street was an, a big department store that's now out of business, Ames or Eames or something. And it was Christmas Eve Eve, and it was busy. There were a lot of cars. It was an inch of snow on the ground. And our tractor trailer comes, car carrier, to bring these five cars to California. 
two to go to LA and three to go to California. And those are two utilities. Two to LA and three to Northern California. Yeah. There were two utilities. Yeah. SMUD, Sacramento Municipal yeah. Utility District, and LA Department of Water and Power or mm-hmm. something like that. Right, LA DWP. DWP. And uh, that car carrier got stuck in the entrance to this giant department store on Christmas Eve Eve and they the manager of the store came out. This guy was stuck. Like the tra- it was a it was like a downhill thing. He got stuck there. We were so happy because we were still building still the building. damn cars. It was like ah. Ed Trendley comes in and said, I gotta go help the the car carrier tractor yeah. trailer driver. He's stuck. It's like, Ed, don't even go out there. Let's let's finish these yeah, cars. Let him, and, let him figure it out. So he he the guy finally got unstuck. The Ames guy came in our place. He was gonna like sue us for like lost business because cars couldn't get in his store. And you know, there's you know, it's like a parking yeah. lot that fits two hundred and fifty cars. Yeah. So anyway, the cars the cars shipped, you know, they got done, they got out there, they got delivered. But it was uh that kind of time, like, okay, it might not have been that fast a rat race yeah. back then, like the solar industry is now. I'll call it a rat race. It sounds kind of sad, but keeping up with costs down yeah. and, uh, and you know, efficiency and options and features is, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And then to bring the quality so you don't have a big backside reliability cost coming behind it and all the customer, you got to spend a lot more time helping customers if you don't have that quality, that's but right. you have to find the mix. So that's where the entrepreneur has the fun uh, with again, all the right people around to make those tough decisions. And sometimes you make the decision that's it's just wrong. And uh, sometimes it's right. We'll never know. Well, with that, of the many, many things I still want to ask uh, and the many stories that I know that we still have left to record, I think that's a perfect place to put a pin in this conversation. I'd love to have you back. I'd love to talk more about uh, Lightspeed Ventures, uh, I will direct folks uh, even now ahead of a, a conversation I hope we'll have to read your recent Medium blogs. In January of 2022, you started writing again, exploring the world of electric vehicles. Does it make sense for these alternative fuels like hydrogen? Does it make sense uh, f- with decisions that the USPS is making uh, with Oshkosh? Uh, we don't have the time or, or depth right now to go into it. I will encourage folks to go and read those. We'll link to them in the show notes. I just want to take a moment and say thank you. Thank you for the work that you have done to create a foundation upon which so many different entrepreneurs are now able to uh, expand on that vision. Uh, thank you for the gift of time here in this you know, historic building that you remade. We didn't have time. I'll, I hopefully will have some time to, to repackage some of the B-roll of you and I walking around this building. Where it's a net zero building. We'll have to do an episode uh, or two on your passion for uh, for building energy and, and net zero. I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Dico. I, did, I really appreciated this and your your passion and depth to get the stories and go deeper down. I feel like we haven't even talked yet. I yeah. feel like there's so much more to talk about because you, you get all these things going in all the right ways and connect the pieces together. I, yeah. I've, it's been fun. Yeah, likewise. It's fun for me. I hope it's been fun for you watching and listening. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely revisit this. It might be over Zoom. I don't know if I'll have a chance to come back to North Andover. And, and what do you call this facility again? This is the Stevens Center at North Andover Historical Society. Yeah. Mouthful. Yeah. It, it's, uh, you, you've done a phenomenal job here. It's fun to get a chance to see. Uh, this is the uh, Selectria 3, 4, 3? Selectria 4C, four four. the Dow corporate, corporate image ad for the 88 Olympics. 
Yeah. And it, yeah and 1987. A, I'm sitting close up, so you can't see this from the video, but MIT written here is <laughs> written out in electrical tape. It's, yes, uh, it is. It's yeah. amazing. I love it. That was is cheaper it? than going to the coop and buying That's the right. MIT logo There's for a, like $10. There's <laughs> an Arco Solar sticker, Dow Automotive Materials Group. This is a piece of history. It really is. And, uh, and I'm guessing this is a hub assembly system for yeah, we of, just a wheel motor mock-up yeah direct drive no transmission mm. no shafts no u-joints <laughs> the future all cars will be there i, I love that so it's this has been a, a a view of the future from the past um it has been truly a trip down memory lane that for me and i'm sure for many other entrepreneurs is instructive of how to operate in the coming years we have a lot a lot of work to do oh there's so much to do yeah. A lot of excitement, a lot of fun, but so much work to get there. And we'll, we'll get there, all of us. We'll get there. Well, thank you again. And uh, I'll look forward to having you back on Suncast. Uh, thank you. Really appreciate it, James. This has been a real joy. James Warden, one of the true pioneers and founders of the electric vehicle and renewables industry. What was not the Bill Gates of EV? There was the other one. The, that, funny the, videos the Henry, Henry Ford, Ford of right? electric cars. The Henry Ford of electric cars. <laughs> there was no cars. Bill Gates in 1990, right? What was yeah, he doing? Yeah. What was he up to yeah, in 1990? He was, I think he was creating uh, the early Microsoft. Yeah. So. Very beginning. Yeah. Well, we'll call. We'll put a pin in it here and we'll have to pick this up at some other point. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, Solar Warrior. Well, believe me when I say I could have stayed there talking with James for another three hours and we would not have run out of interesting topics to cover. Thank you, James for welcoming me into your wonderful world, the museum you lovingly restored, and the lifetime of memories that we have herein tried to relive for the solar community. I'd love to know from you all, though, solar warriors, what was your favorite part? What did you most enjoy, or what surprised you most about James Warden's story? What else would you have asked or liked to know? Perhaps I'll get James back for a follow-on or an Ask Me Anything with the tribe. Meanwhile, please... Do share those insights with us over on LinkedIn, won't you? I know I speak on behalf of James when I say we are truly eager to hear your thoughts and look forward to your feedback. If you're eager to keep learning, and I know you are, my fellow Philomath, well, allow me to point you to the show notes over at mysuncast.com, that website I keep mentioning. There you will find links to all the interesting things that I dug up, like a clip from NPR's Science Friday when they interviewed James back in 1992. Stories from the rise of Solectria inverters and even profiles of his business partner and life partner, Anita, who is an amazing person in her own right. I researched a ton to prep for this interview and have left a lot of little goodies and links there that are well worth your time to invest if you are eager to hear more. But most of all, I think that you should check out James' latest passion project, his writings over on medium.com about the future of mobility, where he is currently focused again through his venture called Lightspeed. I've really enjoyed reading James' writing and learning more about him through the articles that I link to in the show notes. Thanks again for dedicating your time to hearing all the way through both parts of this interview, dear friend. Who else do you think would benefit from listening to it? Speaking of gratitude, thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. As I expressed before, this is not free to produce. It is very involved and I'm so grateful that we have partners that come alongside us to help produce the show. You can learn more about our supporting partners at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. And that's also how you can learn to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions with your message twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. 
Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.